0: Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the uh, wonders of technology that we are simultaneously gathering in Chicago, Milan, and Washington, D.C. Uh, perhaps uh, one of the innovations we might talk about and the miracle of that, but uh, uh, Deirdre McCloskey and Alberto Mingardi, two of my favorite economists. Um, it's, it's kind of shocking to me that I like an Italian co- economist, but on, on occasion, that that turns out okay. Um, can, I, can I ask first, uh, before we get into the book, and your book is incredibly timely for, for the challenges we're about to face, but let me, let me ask how you both are doing in, in two areas of the world where uh, lockdowns are continuous and, and quite authoritarian. I'll start with you, Alberto. You've been in uh, um, Milan, which is, was really the epicenter of the first wave. How are things right now?
1: Well, you know, Milan was sort of in the center of the first wave, uh, happily. Well, there's nothing happy about this. But the city in itself was not particularly hit during the first wave. It is very severely hit during the second wave. Um, The Italian lockdown in the spring was extremely severe. Uh, Now, actually, it is slightly more bearable in this to the effect that you know people can go for a run in the morning uh, certain kinds of shops are open uh, but people cannot move out of their city or of their town or of their region um, so i think this is really giving a physical sense of our um, you know freedom to move which is basically the essence of freedom in many ways uh, can get limited and that's um, it's a new experience. Um, Of course, I mean, the virus is is serious, particularly uh, in in some areas, including uh, this one. Uh, But I really think we're feeling uh, limitations to individual freedom to an extent that we never really felt uh, on our own scheme, uh, at least in my own lifetime. And
2: of Of course, it's the
1: potential of the modern
2: state which it's, which it's implementing. Now, I, in, I, I'm i not actually in Chicago now. I moved yesterday. I came to see my, my mother, who is gravely ill, in, uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, which is in the Eastern Time Zone. And in both states, Illinois and Indiana, you're not allowed to go to the other states. <laughs> so, you know, there's this attempt to build walls everywhere, which is part of the lack of mobility it's very irritating that these very powerful governments that we pay for didn't do it right the right way to do it is the way it was done in the Western Pacific in from New Zealand Australia Taiwan South Korea those are all vibrant democracies even Japan but let's take those four they all they all did it better because they did it quickly, once, and kept it down low enough that then they could, they they could test and trace. It's like a forest fire. You know, if you, there's a liberal case for for the state fighting forest fires. You know, I don't think we should leave it to the market, although there are market elements of that that we could certainly use. But, um, you know, here we are.
0: Your current, um, your current mayor has essentially canceled Thanksgiving, but I'm thinking actually of a previous mayor who famously said, uh, never, never let a good crisis go to waste.
2: Of course, that's the fear. And I think I'll, 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 I'll Alberto has deeper insight into this than I do. But, you know, it, it can go either way. It, it's like uh, uh, Vietnam, the Vietnam War. To my generation of socialists, as I was then, or middle of the road uh, socialists, the fact that the government couldn't do its main specialized task, which is war, competently, got through to some of us. And it started to move me away from, from socialism. But of course, it can go the other way. It's like an income and substitution effect in economics. That it can people can say, "Oh yeah, well that, that was uh, that's Bob Igs's point about war socialism."
0: That the, the way that Leviathan grows during crisis.
2: Yeah, that's right. It can go. It can, but it, you you can kind of see that ideologically it can go either way. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. it tends to have Bob's ratchet into it. And I, I fear that this will be another one, particularly when you have people like Mazzocato running around uh, urging us to adopt more comprehensive yeah. economic controls.
0: Well, let's let's introduce the book, and, and it's it's fascinating and and perhaps tragic that your book. Uh, there's some some robust marketing from Alberto, the myth yes. of the myth of the entrepreneurial state. Uh, co-authored by the two of you and published by our friends at the American Institute for Economic Research, uh, a a lovely organization. And it strikes me that you two decided to write this book before COVID and before anticipating this this renewed call for the government to take over businesses and entrepreneurship. Uh, What was really the instigation for writing the book in the first place?
1: Well, you know, I think some ideas were already in the air. And particularly, I mean, we were, uh, so to say, very interested and worried uh, in seeing that uh, industrial policy, uh, which has been out of fashion for quite a while and for good reason in in Western (laughs) countries, uh, all of a sudden came back into the public debate. Um an economist who's been preaching uh, more of industrial policy everywhere in the West is Mariana Mazzucato. The name is Italian indeed, but let me stress the fact uh, that she is educated in Anglo-Saxon countries and teaches in England. So for once, uh, you cannot say that there is something in the Italian gene that inclines towards capitalism. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Professor Mazzucato is, is, a very, uh, is a very forceful, uh, a, very, uh, a very good advocate, a very good speaker of her own course. Uh, so she uh, wrote a book for a British think bank that was called The Entrepreneurial State. And she's been advocating more government involvement in uh, business. Uh, for the sake of producing innovation. So the the essential part of our narrative is that, you know, these beautiful things that uh, we typically tend to believe are the products of free enterprise or the markets, this cornucopia of new goods, of novelties uh, that are coming up, that are popping up uh, in the market every year, actually Uh, These novelties are there because of previous government investment. So that's our narrative. And that's a narrative uh, which is shared uh, by some people uh, on the right, too. I think some of our American friends uh, watching and listening to us um, may remember a speech by Marco Rubio a few months ago that was advocating pretty much... Uh, The same thing Uh, with nationalism on the rise in in the Trump Republican Party, uh, many of the theorists of of this uh, Republican nationalism actually advocated some sort of uh, industrial policy. So uh, the idea was there and uh, we will see if the COVID-19 crisis is going to be uh, the circumstance uh, that allows this idea to take off.
2: Well, I, I would not have gotten involved
1: in this if Alberto
2: hadn't driven me to it. He kept saying we've got to do a little essay for uh, uh for the, actually is for the Adam Smith Society in in, uh, in, in England originally. And they are, they are the co- co-publishers of the book. And, and I kept saying, oh yeah, okay, I guess, because I didn't take her stuff seriously. I thought, you know, God, what do you mean the government as an entrepreneur? <laughs> the, the government, you know, think of it on balance. And I think on balance, as an economic historian, I think it's pretty obvious that governments in the West have been obstructors of innovation. But he kept at, at me. And I finally caved in and wrote this thing. It, 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 it didn't take too long once we got going.
0: I have to say that it's um, always a treat to read a book by two economists that is actually written in English. And I, d- I don't say that to insult um, our Italian author, but uh, very few economists know how to speak in language that actually actually well, con- connects with people.
2: Bear in mind that you, you, introduced you introduced Alberto as an economist. He's not. He's, not. he's, a, he's, uh, he's, he's an intellectual historian, if you want to put him in some category of economics and of politics and of lots of other things. So maybe that's why it got so good that he wasn't on economist.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the way the way the reason why the, the book reads well is is, is Peter's phenomenal prose and uh, I think you know I'm 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 free riding uh, on that and I'm very pleased to. Uh, yeah. You know, we're all free. you know it's called
2: spontaneous order. And it's also called the market, and we free ride on each other. And and the trouble with this industrial policy, Montsecado, let's get the government in on it again, is precisely that it doesn't believe in that.
0: So I'm 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 old enough to remember taking a class from you, Deirdre. Um, I'm not going to say how long ago because it would embarrass both of us. On on the rhetoric of economics, and and if I if I could boil your entire book down to a sentence um, economics is about stories and yeah. and uh, talk about that a little bit before we get into this book because i i want i want to rescue economics from the economists because i feel like uh, we we as a profession do a horrible job of of explaining these very important ideas that we have
2: well that that's part of the problem as as both Keynes and Hayek i don't know who copied whom i think hayek copied Uh, Keynes, both of them said in print that you can't be a good economist if you're only an economist. That's one point. And then um, uh, the the other point is that, um, uh, yeah, it's terribly important that economic ideas get... I mean, our friend uh, um, uh, Don Boudreau is just eloquent on trying to get people to understand that, that protectionism is a racket, international trade protectionism. And he's, you know, that's really the Lord's work.
0: So I'm reminded of uh, the situation we're in today where we have a, a real crisis and arguably uh, governments have done nothing but make the pandemic worse than it might have otherwise been and it feels like a the scene from my, one of my favorite movies, Groundhog Day. Hopefully you're both aware of. I love Groundhog Day. And I feel like Bill Murray, as someone that has argued against the follies of, of central planning again and again and again, um, and yet we wake up every morning and make the same stupid mistakes over and over again. Um, and, and it's... Uh, it, i understand the incentives of planners to plan and why governments would find expanding their own power attractive but but why does this idea that that governments can be smarter than decentralized innovation why why is it so pervasive why does it keep coming back like like a zombie apocalypse
1: because
0: it's simple
1: yeah because it's very simple to understand it's very simple storytelling it's like a uh, it's like a mystery novel. Uh, you know who the bad guy is, it's private sector. Yeah. You know who the good guys are, and yeah. uh, it's a very simple narrative. Uh, you know, it's it's very easy to believe that we have this beautiful um, smartphone because the almighty government, at a certain yeah. moment in history, invested in the right people or in the right technologies. It's very difficult to understand that we have this wonderful smartphone, certainly because some people, some businessmen, some entrepreneurs, some scientists, some technology people were smart and creative. Uh, But also uh, because, you know, we had conspiring circumstances uh, because these people met, because one technology came out at the right time. Uh, There's a lot of chance. Uh, in uh, in our lives, and and instead, when we're looking for political ideas, uh, we want certainty. Uh, we want to know who the bad guys and who the good guys are. And uh, you know, industrial policy, protectionism, all of these ideas um, serve that purpose uh, beautifully. And it's it's a it's a deep
2: problem in in journalism generally. Not that you know we should batter on the journalists and say they're terrible. They're not. There, but, but they do, as Alberto is saying, have this very simple guilt quest or or um, prosecutorial line, and it, it irritates them when you say, "Well, it's just spontaneous order; it's it just happened, and so there's no one to blame." It, it just drives them nuts.
0: So you that this book is really designed as a response to um, Mazzucato's nice marketing there, um, the the Italian economist who Alberto blames uh, the UK for apparently, um, and this idea of the entrepreneurial state. But but your book you could you could do a global replace and replace uh, whoever Joe Biden's uh, primary economic advisor is. You could drop in Robert Reich. You could drop in any number of American Keynesians, and it strikes me that uh, we are, in a lot of ways, in the United States, on the same exact path that Italy is on. Um, we have uh, the the presumed incoming president Joe Biden has has promised to double down on using the the so-called Defense Production Act, um, which which Trump. Trump took advantage of in what I thought was a spectacularly silly idea of forcing General Motors to make um, hus- yeah. hospital equipment. And, and I don't, I don't I don't know how that turned out, but I'm fairly confident that the manufacturers of that equipment could have just as easily ramped up production in a more efficient way. Um, but he's given this 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 potent weapon to the to, to the new president. and he he seems to want to double down. He actually talks, about uh, uh, Logan, what's the word? The supply commander. Yes. He's creating a position called supply commander. And that's, um, statism is one, yeah, statism is one word for that, but I noticed that neither of you had the uh, audacity to use the F word in this book. When When I was a young economist, I was taught that fascism was government control of the means of production. Now, I, I, I agree with George Orwell that the word has been completely rendered meaningless by, by all sorts of abuses of the term, but aren't we talking about government control of the means of production, even in the United States? Yeah, sure, I
2: mean, Italian fascism, to the extent that it had a theory at all, um, it, was, it was more theoretical than, uh, than our current fascist president is, but, but it was indeed uh, what we call the the united states associative capitalism that is we're we're, we're going to get the each industry organized um, and by that means they meant form a cartel uh, so that the the steel work, steel um, manufacturers and the auto manufacturers and the doctors and everyone have their own little um, a uh, syndicalist plan to share the spoils of hurting the consumers with, with the trade unions, which is what the agreement was. And that's, that's that, you know, it's not Lenin, but it has some of the same effects as Lenin. So I, 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 I'm perfectly willing to use the word fascism carefully. Uh, there was a really good article, I forget where it was, maybe in the Washington Post, where this, uh, this historian of fascism went through the question, what was, is Donald Trump a fascist? And um, he had done it before Trump was elected. And then he did it a couple of months ago after our actual experience with him. And he said, well, no, he's not, not, not a fascist yet. He's a wannabe fascist. <laughs> Every instinct he has uh, is authoritarian and, and 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 indeed centralizing. He reckons the United States is a family firm, his family firm. Uh, so you know, I I I'm a am agree with you that uh, we're going to get the Bob Reich view of the world with uh, with. Um, Uh, With Joe, but we can't have another four years of Trump. I mean, boy,
0: hey. So what? What is? What exactly is the difference between um, the nationalism of Trump and the um, sort of statism of Mazzucato and the Italian government?
1: Well, I think is you know the the Italian government is is pretty nationalist too. So. Um, mm-hmm. We do use um, nationalism as, of course, uh, um, a reason to protect Italian firms, for example, mm-hmm. who pass laws uh, that make more difficult for a foreign investor to do something which is so atrocious and dangerous, which is bringing capital into our own country. Oh. Um, uh, at the end of the day, I, I think you know uh, one thing that we just touched upon in the book, but um, I, I consider it of increasing importance, particularly these days, and particularly when you um, when you consider, uh, for example, the rhetoric of so-called stakeholder capitalism yeah, yeah. Uh, is the sort of partnership uh, which is forged between corporate leaders and the government. So you know. Uh, Nationalism, industrial policy, stakeholder capitalism. All of these are basically uh, nice words uh, that are used to cover up uh, some kind of legal privileges uh, that uh, some corporate leader are effectively getting out of government. We are in a moment in which shareholders are very unpopular. But, you know, the fact that shareholders are unpopular means that managers actually are not constrained uh, by the discipline which is forced upon them by the fact they need to, uh, you know, get back uh, to the owners of a firm, to to their shareholders. I think this is really uh, a partnership between some corporate leaders that wants to be freer uh, in pursuing their goal and... uh, what nice excuses and and government uh, itself uh, these nice excuses may sound uh, uh, you know uh, right wing uh, national whatever or they may sound uh, left- wing you know a more compassionate environmental kind of capitalism but at the end of the day they are nice excuses excuses to allow managers to be uh, on the driving, as they like to say, uh, capitalism in a direction other than the one consumer prefer every day by their purchases and by their choices. Well, and,
2: and as you as you said, Matt, this is not new. It's, it's something like a hundred years old. Uh, last month, a, a former colleague of mine, a great historian, he spent his career at the University of Iowa and was well-known as a historian, Ellis Hawley died. And back in the 19, uh, uh, 1960s, Ellis wrote a great book called The New Deal and the Problem of Monopoly. And in the New Deal, that was the deal. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you, a, a you know, it was the, uh, the uh, the NRA was the problem there, but he pointed out and then did a lot of work on it. But this idea emerged in quite mature form in the 1920s, in the form of, of corporatism, or in the extreme violent form of fascism, or indeed after the 1917, the experiment in communism, state um, state socialism, in my, in my left wing, no. Uh, what's it called? They call it corporate socialism or some damn thing. They've got some excuse for the Soviet Union. My left-wing friends do, but in any case, you know, as you say, I don't know. We we have to drive a stake, a silver stake through the heart of this idea, at the crossroads at midnight, and Barrow and I are trying to do it, and we see this stuff is so irritatingly, bad economics, bad history, and worse politics.
0: You know, the, the irony is that the, the call for government intervention in a time of crisis is is always that sort of for, uh, uh, corporatism or cronyism, or mm-hmm. the I like to talk about the collusion of big government and, and big business to their mutual ends yeah. at the expense of the rest That's of right. us. But isn't isn't that part of the reputu- reputational crisis that the word capitalism has, is that when young people think of capitalism, they're, they're rejecting corporatism, and it, it seems like it's a trap. I, I wanna
2: get rid of the damn word, which
0: we all know
2: was coined by our enemies. Yeah. Not actually, by, as you know, people always point out, not by Marx himself, but by his followers, capitalismism. And it's a stupid word and it misleads people all the time. As an economic historian, many of my colleagues are absolutely convinced that capital accumulation is what causes innovation. Now, if that were true, then Mingardi would be, be I mean, not Mingardi, he would go, but curse me. What a terrible thing to say. Matsukata would be correct that the government could just pour money <laughs> into I don't know what, and innovation would spring from it. But innovation is caused by innovation. (laughs) It's caused by human beings having creative ideas. And that comes, uh, I I think, from liberalism, from a free society, not from, uh, I don't know, I or Delta K or some silly thing like that. It's not that you can't, that, that, that the capital is useless, it's necessary, but so is sunlight necessary. So is uh, uh, the arrow of time. So is the labor force. I mean, as we, as we say in the book, there are all these necessary conditions that people always point to.
0: And that's, that's very nice,
2: except that the, the, the sufficient condition is human creativity and the encouragement, the massive encouragement that liberalism um, gave to it, especially in the 19th uh, century.
1: And this innovation ought to be market tested uh, because it's another awesome. problem with the fallacy is that, yeah. you know, uh, it is certainly true that if you keep pouring money to all kind of research programs in the world, <laughs> then something will
0: come yeah, out I
1: mean, of that yeah, for sure i mean if you just go on forever uh financing anything well uh, one day uh, something useful will come out of it She, uh, she we live in a world of scarce resources and we need to cope with that fact
2: she actually says that the anglo-french uh, concord which was clearly a commercial disaster um was a good thing she's a defender of it because he, Phrase she used, Alberto, I can't quite remember it, but it made things happen. Kind of, yeah, oh, okay. You mean cause caused things? Uh, it meant that if you, you know, if you start a world war or you know, shoot people randomly, that causes things to happen. And that was her justification. She was a graduate of the, of the New schools for social research in New York. And I have lots of friends there, and I've been trying for 30 years to get them to hire me, and they never got around to it because they had to hire another Marxist. And I I get it. Marxist economics is under um, assault in the United States. It's very hard to get a job. Okay, but if I had been there, I would have taught them microeconomics. And then they wouldn't be saying, she wouldn't be saying these stupid things. I would have
0: been teaching them. So let's talk about, um, and Deirdre, you've written extensively on this. You have a um, three volume uh, series on on bourgeois virtues and, and the values that allowed for bottom-up innovation to fundamentally change the world. Um, we have to keep telling that story because I, I don't think anyone is convinced that uh, that the sort of lavish uh, uh, wealth that we all enjoy today um, came from somewhere, it was just always there.
2: Yeah, well, that's their one mistake, as uh, uh, Alberto and I, and I just harp on it all the time, we're talking about a 3,000% increase in the ability to buy goods and services of the poorest among us. That's what this last two centuries Of success for liberalism has caused, but you 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 know I I say I'm against the word capitalism. I think we need a new word, innovism, to uh, say what actually uh, to to to, to characterize the 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 unusual um, behavior of the last couple of centuries. There is a great book by uh, the late. Hans Rosling, which everyone should read, too, ours first, but then Hans, which is is called uh, uh, Factfulness, and and that first. But but Factfulness is, is a very good book because he points out that people don't realize that this innovism has been so enriching. They just don't realize, they don't believe it. You say, uh, you know, things have improved since 1800. And I say, oh, yeah, income has doubled or tripled. And then I, I say to the time out, you no, know, no, it hasn't doubled or tripled. It's gone up by a factor of 30, which is uh, transformative. Um, and, and the idea that this is the government, see, the, here's, the, I think, one of the problems is that at the same time this was happening, not quite the same time. After, after uh, 1914, governments got much bigger, and especially after 1933. And then especially after 1945, they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so people came to think of the government as the source of their income, post care or property. And it wasn't, as Alberto emphasizes all the time, Now there are these millions of creative acts by individuals that result in improvements in common bricks (laughs) or or, or better, uh, I don't know, look look around your room, better plastic, Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking out the window of my sister's house and there's a piece of plate glass, which is a door Now, when when was it possible for the first time to use plate glass as a door? Well, it's within the last century. I haven't been able to quite tie it down. But you couldn't build, you know. So, and it's got nothing to do with um, our friends in the government,
0: Alberto. um, But the government created the internet. Surely that's, that's pure genius, isn't it?
1: Well, that's, that's one of the examples that uh, Mariana Mazzucato examines. And, uh, you know, her, her strategy when it comes to arguing her case is typically looking at the U.S. and looking at the Internet, looking at the iPhone and claiming that these wonderful things are the result of government intervention. Now, of course, I mean, when it comes to a complex technology uh, like the Internet, uh, with a government that has been spending, you know, uh, in a bigger and bigger way uh, with time, and that for quite a while was quite interested in financing uh, military technology, uh, yes, of course, I mean, some of this investment uh, becomes... Um, sort of um, building blocks that later on are used to uh, develop other technology. Uh, but uh, it's clearly not that the government has envisioned the Internet as it is now. I mean, when uh, uh, when ARPANET was developed, uh, nobody had an idea of what was later to uh, become of it. And, and nobody clearly thought about the commercial internet we uh, are enjoying these days. I mean, Tom Aislet, our friend Tom Aislet, for example, has written extensively uh, on on this matter. I think it's 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 very important, as as Didre uh, always reminds us, uh, never to um, um, think in, in a rather uh, in a rather simple way that you know something was. Essential or is essential. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, the economy is a game of substitution uh, every day. And uh, every day, entrepreneurs are trying, uh, are thinking about how they should substitute, uh, change one factor of production with the other if they want to, uh, you know, uh, keep going with what it is for them uh, the best possible uh, mixing of these factors of production. Um, So, you know, it's very easy to see something and say, well, you know, sometimes in the past the government did something good in that realm, and therefore we need to thank uh, the White House for that. And, and, you know, of course, I mean, Jeff Bezos is driving on government-owned highways, but uh, I think nobody in her sane mind uh, will think that we need to thank the United States government for, uh, for Amazon. I think you know on these, this is actually an attitude which is rooted uh, on what Dieter was in, in what Dieter was saying before. I mean the fact that we are very forgetful uh, of our past, uh, that we don't realize the extent to which our lives uh, improved uh, and uh, and we are somehow like you know, uh, spoiled children. We just think, you know, we are so used to this uh, progress uh, that we believe that nothing can stop it. And actually, we can take it for granted and drive it in the direction we want. Instead, it's a very fragile thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah, driving is one of the favorite words of a statist. You drive the economy as though it was a it was a a herd of sheep.
0: Yeah.
2: And of course they have the idea of the car. I remember as a young economist back in the 1960s, we all thought we could go down to Washington and fine tune the economy. And this was madness.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, and, and getting back to the Groundhog Day analogy, we're basically having the exact same argument today that Frederick Hayek had with John, John Maynard Keynes and, and later The Socialists, and he, he, you know, he eventually, as you both know, he eventually took a step back and said, I think we're speaking a different language here, and he tried to explain uh, to his uh, central planner friends that there's this, there's this process, this bottom-up process where mm-hmm. millions of people with unique knowledge are, are every day innovating to work their way out of an unknowable and uncertain future. And it, it, it gets back to that. I think we have a hard time explaining um, the, the the really amazing things that happen when people are just left free to figure stuff out.
2: Yeah, well, you, you know, uh, uh, we, we speak of history in the book, but we also speak of economic theory. And in the course of writing the book, I got a lot clearer about a deep criticism that can be made of supply chain thinking. You know, we have a supply chain, and we know how to make ice cream because you get the milk here and the sugar there and blah, blah, blah. And the input-output analysis, which I was a big enthusiast uh, about when I was a student back in the, in the 60s, is another example. But so is the so-called music. it's it's a bad word for it, but I call it Samuelsonian economics, the idea of the production function, which, as um, Humberto was saying, is, is in its sort of good form, is just saying, well, there are substitutes. But in its bad form, it says, we already know what the substitutes are. And then it becomes a little machine, and then it's easy to drive the economy. Because we know what the inputs are, the outputs, just do it, push it. And it's, um, I've become in the last 20 years or so, much more an Austrian economist. You know, finally, read Hayek, uh, dope that I was, and and Mises and and lots of other people. Don Don Lavoie was important in in leading me to it. And, And I think the Austrians have got it more or less right, that the core of a innovistic economy is what they call in their own jargon human action human action is just a a, a not very attractive word for creativity as you just said matt facing a very uncertain opportunity for substitution or for Getting a new thing, and easily. Like, but by the way, something we also mentioned in the book is that consumers have an input here, not just that they buy the stuff at the grocery store, but that they think think of new uses for it. The the, the way the teenagers learned to use once was what, what was once a lineman's code um, in the uh, in the phone company to send messages. That's the consumer's making up new uses. So there's all this creativity going on, which is ignored by the masterful central planners who keep on thinking that they know better than, well, actually billions of other people.
0: I'm I'm fascinated that your intellectual foe actually is trying to co-opt the word entrepreneurship because... Because in the United States, of course, uh, capitalism is not popular. Capitalism is a, is a word with so much baggage. Uh, but, but young people that uh, imagine themselves as democratic socialists very much believe in entrepreneurship. They love innovation. They love, they love this bottom-up community-based process of, of solving problems. So it's, to me, it's like I could be depressed about that, but I, I feel like there's an opportunity here but we have to sort of reclaim our word. They've already taken all our other words. We need entrepreneur back. How do we do that, Alberto?
1: Well, I agree with that. And, and clearly, the problem here is that these young people see lots of novelties, uh, fancy thing, and they just um, uh, come to think you know, that the bureaucracy could work the same. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it cannot uh, because incentives are different, because the way in which it works is different, because it's a system which is not based upon the price mechanism. So it's very bad to, uh, you know, uh, get all of this information and this knowledge that are dispersed in the economy. But once again, it's very easy for people to empathize, to think, well, you know, we do have Apple. Why can't we have an Apple government or an Amazon government? Why... Why can't we have government running like that? Yeah. And I think it's, it's a very serious question for us. Also, uh, you know, th- there is something which is deep rooted in all individuals, which is uh, this in- instinct uh, to uh, meddle with other people's life. And these attitudes grows on them. This idea that we can actually tell our fellow man what is better for him uh, because of whatever whatever criteria, I think you know what we need to do. Uh, in, in particular, you know, in, in this sort of uh, uh, in this sort of, of, of act of intellectual action, people like you, Matt, are, are undertaking every day is perhaps uh, going back to examples, to stories, uh, and you know the world of entrepreneurship is giving us. Plenty of wonderful stories, and uh, we we don 't really know the world in which we live. Yeah. Uh, this applies to, to to this youngster on the left but but to us too i mean uh, when we when we're using this technology, uh, we are seldom aware actually of the history of its own components of of uh, the way in which it was developed, and 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 the same is true for a whole variety of things. Let me just give you give you just one example. The food industry, in the COVID nineteen crisis, every expert uh, in March and April thought that the food industry was about to melt down uh, because clearly, you know, the production of food, particularly in the US, but also in Europe. Uh, was targeted, was directed, was driven by and large uh, towards restaurants. And then overnight uh, consumption by, I mean, the use of this material by, uh, by restaurants collapsed. And instead, people needed to go to the grocery and, and buy stuff uh, for making their own food. And of course, you know, it's not the same to produce mozzarella for pizzerias and produce mozzarella for families. It's a totally different thing. You, you do it in different ways. It's amazing how the food industry uh, adapted uh, yeah. basically overnight. Of course, I'm sure that plenty of, of businesses failed. I'm sure you got some natural uh, selection going on. But it's, it's a wonderful story. And I think these are the sort of things that we need to focus on in order to give real-life example of how uh, amazingly uh, creative and adaptive and uh, inspiring uh, but, the world of business can be. But
2: there are two ways that humans think.
1: Storytelling narrative,
2: on the one hand, and, 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 and metaphor. Analogy, comparison, on the other—that thing that I've just said has been confirmed by by brain science, very deeply. So it's not just stories. If you say stories, it gets—if if, you don't understand that—that that, that's part of it. That's the that's the narrative part, and is all as a—that's right. But there's also an analogy. We can also use analogies to get through to people, and or. M- m- was. And one is that um, uh, would the kids? Now we're, we're talking to the young people now. The old people are hopeless; they're not ever going to change. Um, Bob R- 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 Reich is not ever going to understand markets. He refuses to. Um, we we can say to them, "What would you like? Government planning, a la Mazzucato of rock music?" You think that's a good idea, or of uh, 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 of, of uh, painting, or of style, clothing style? You think that would be a good idea? I mean, if it's good for this part of the of our society, why not for that? Would you think that dating <laughs> should be centralized and planned by Mariana Mancikata, who, after all, knows better than you? What sort of a, a a boyfriend you should have? Well, as they say in Italy, this is pazzo, and 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 it is. It's completely local. It's insane. And I think they would, you know, I I think country music, rock music, and then an older and older vein jazz embody liberty.
0: Absolutely, they're speaking. Speaking of metaphors, I, I want to wrap up on on rescuing some of the the language uh, that used to be ours, including the word liberal. But the metaphor, which I believe I'm guessing came from you, Deirdre, and perhaps borrowed from some of your colleagues, of the market as a radically democratic conversation, where where everybody's um, you know, and, and Hayek, I used to call Hayek. Uh, summarize Hayek as sort of an unspoken dialogue that um, how people coordinate their activities, but it, but it strikes me that we are the Democrats because we believe that everybody should have a voice and we believe that everybody's choices should be empowered and not, not the vulgar democracy where 50 plus one get to tell the other 49% what percent of, of the world what to do um, but I love that that metaphor of, of that. This is a conversation, and and why it has to be free is that the the conversations don't work from the top down. They are by definition something that happens from the bottom up.
2: Yeah, and that, that the, the, this was uh, forced on me. I'm a very slow thinker, by my 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 dear friend, the Dutch economist Ariel Klammer, right from the beginning of his academic career spoken of economics, and then the economy, which took me decades to make that move, uh, as a as a conversation. But there's a, there's a great sociologist, Howard Howard Becker, speaks in exactly the same way. He speaks of worlds, and if you read Howie's um, description of this, it's 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 ours. <laughs> it's ours of a Liberal um, uh, um, c- c- conversation, and in particular, it's against a whole other sociological approach, which is top-down coercion, power, um, prestige. Uh, that's how sociology the society works. Whereas, actually, I think the society, as in the case of rock music, or Fashion works with um, millions of people
0: interacting in a world.
2: Is how he says.
0: So statism versus uh, innovism is really a question of coercion versus conversation. I, exactly. I think we need to run with that because I, I think it's a it's a very persuasive uh, way for, for people to wrap their hands around this mysterious thing where suddenly there's food on my table every night and I can't figure out exactly how it happened. Um, but this is uh, another way of saying this is statism versus liberalism. And as both of you know, the word liberal in the United States does not mean what you mean. How do, how do we uh, how do we get our word back?
2: About it Alberto, I mean, it's, it's even more paradoxical in Italy <laughs> because every sentient Italian Knows that los 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 is corrupt, stupid, coercive, and clumsy. They all know it. Yet they don't vote for liberals.
1: Perché? Well, actually, yeah. Well, I don't know if 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 even if they wanted to vote for liberals, at least in recent elections, they had no liberal option. So. Yeah. Uh, their vote could not be uh, could not be expressed in that in that way. I think you know the. Uh, I think was Schumpeter saying that the enemies of free enterprise uh, picked up the word liberal in a sort of homage uh, uh, to yeah. their own enemies uh, and to the success of the free enterprise system. Uh, we have a very good friend, Professor Dan Klein who's uh, doing whatever uh, he can to regain liberalism to its true meaning. Uh, I love Dan, I don't think he's gonna be successful in this particular endeavor because at the end of the day, in a spontaneous order such as the language is, uh, it is the people uh, who decide how words are used. Uh, Clearly classical liberalism doesn't sound particularly well uh, but I think one uh, uh, one important thing perhaps for us all is it's not so much to uh, reclaim the word uh, liberalism, but to reclaim the word liberty, uh, because liberty was used as a flag for all sorts of political experiments uh, in the past. And I think that the concept that to most of us is instinctive, is clear, uh, like the concept of liberty, don't have uh, somebody uh, uh, you know, uh, stealing your stuff and outing you, uh, well, uh, that concept is, is not clearly associated with liberty by, by many in the United States, in Italy, in Europe, uh, and, and in other places too. I, I think we are the liberty movement somehow, and we, we should make that clearer. Well, you, Matt,
2: have, have, have done your part with your wonderful book. Um, uh, th- th- how's it go? D- d- don't take our...
0: Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.
2: That's right. And uh, we, we've... Uh, Art Carden and I have just published a book of the same character summarizing my trilogy, and its main title is Leave Me Alone and I'll Make You Rich.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, again, we have to, as you say, it's it's like it's some sort, as you say, it's very like Groundhog Day. We're con- have making these arguments over and over and over again. And then we wake up at 6 a.m. to the same news program.
0: Yeah, so let's, um, Deirdre, we're gonna let you go here in just a second. And uh, before we do, I want Alberto to shamelessly promote your new book, and tell people where we can get a copy of this of this very readable and uh, and compact critique of all of the status planners that are trying to ruin our lives right now.
1: Well, just go to your favorite online store. It's an Amazon. This actually, uh, you know, it's it's not expensive at all. It makes for great Christmas presents. Uh, you know, your niece, uh, your, your sons. Mother. Your mother may want that. So uh, think about it. This is, this is going to be making you looking so good at Christmas with your, uh, with your family.
0: So I, I know what to get my wife, Terry, for Christmas. And if she's displeased in any way, I will I'll send her to both of you.
1: Blame me. <laughs> she won't be displeased in any way. Can you
0: really think of a
1: better Christmas present? Well, I mean, short too. It's short.
0: Deirdre, how do we find, um, you've written so many things that I think are essential for understanding and communicating liberty. How how can people find out more about your work?
2: Well, the the easiest way is to go to my very good website, which I have nothing to do with making or maintaining, called DeirdreMcCluskey.org. Uh, You have to spell Deirdre correctly, D-E-I-R-D-R-E, and McCluskey, too. Uh, But, but, you know, if you're an Italian speaker, go to um, the uh, um, um, Alberto's um, Instituto in in Milan, go to the the, uh, American Institute for Economic Research, They do good stuff, and Cato does good stuff, and Adam Smith. You know, these days, these ideas are really easy to access. Whereas um, when I was growing up, there was this kind of narrow window of published books. And for example, when I was a kid, we had to read in school, not in school so much, in college, lots of marks. So I know more about Marx than most ordinary Marxists do, but that's not. And, and I believed it for a while, but that's that. What what was assigned in university um, uh, courses? Unfortunately, that's still happening. But 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 the kids can get around it rather easily.
0: They can they can find your book, and I'm gonna. And, uh, I'm gonna propose that 12 months from now we commit to gathering in Milan to drink, uh, uh, legally drink Barolo together in person in hopes yeah. that we are free again. Thank you both so much.
1: That's, that's a wonderful idea. Let's do that. Ciao, ciao, ciao. Ciao,
2: Bambini.
0: Thanks for watching, Kibbe on Liberty. By now you know this is the most important event of your week, so make sure you subscribe on YouTube Click the little bell so you get notifications. Kibbe on Liberty, mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.